You know, you never know what you want to do with your life. And, and I fell in love with acoustics and noise control. And I want to teach you a little bit about acoustics this morning. So Jake is going to play a note that we agreed on. Go ahead. Isn't that awesome? That is called reverberation. Okay, so sound is a wave, okay? So what's happening is when the, the sound comes out of that speaker, it, it goes all the way to the end and bounces back upon itself. Isn't that great? That's called um, the natural frequency in the room or reverberation. Now, I have a job for the, for the kids, okay? Are you all awake? All right, now, I, kids, you know how old you have to be. If you're an adult, don't do this, okay? All right, so we're going to ask you, why don't you stand up? It'll be better. All the kids stand up. All right, so I'm going to have you clap. When I say three, I'm going to have you all clap, okay? Um, I, in deference to Justin, don't, don't clap like this, okay? It, it will make him mad, you know, but, okay, ready? All right, quiet now, adults, quiet. Okay, one, two, three. Good, try it one more time. One, two, three. You hear the echo? Okay, now, all right, because it's a small space, you're gonna get to do something you never get to do, all right? I was thinking about when, when Jake sings this song, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. We sit there like, okay, yeah, that's really nice, okay. What would you do if someone scored a touchdown? What would you do? Kids. What would you do? Scream. You would scream, okay. So on the count of three, we're going we're gonna to react. I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Now, you, are, you can sit down now. <laughs> you guys are great. All right. One of the things I got to do for my master's work, so I went out and did my master's work in acoustics. And in, uh, I, we had a brand new laboratory. I was the first um, master's student. And we had got this money from Vendix, and we were allowed to build, they built an anechoic chamber. Now, here's the word. And, from Greek meaning without, echo, ek, meaning no echo. So without echo. And in the anechoic chamber, it's completely isolated from outside noise, and there are absolutely no reflections. So if you were to stand in an anechoic room, most people can't stay in the anechoic chamber for more than 30 minutes. Because it's nothing. You can't hear any trucks rumbling outside. It is completely quiet. And what happens after about 30 minutes, your mind says, I don't like this, and it produces a buzzing in your ear. It literally creates noise because you can't stand absolute quiet. So you've been hearing 
at GLC, we talk about reverberation, right? Now, the church of Jesus Christ is not supposed to be an anechoic chamber. The gospel is meant to reverberate, like that sound of bass, like the, the clap, like the kids scream. It reverberates in our homes, in our families, in our work. So we're going to see this today, that the promises of God will echo in our family relationship and our workplaces, or we will echo ourselves, or we will echo what the culture. So either or, something's going to happen. So chapter 6, I'm just going to give you a little context, because um, we've been in chapter 5 for a little while, and you want to open your Bibles to chapter 6. But one of the things we ha I want to remind us is chapter 6 flows out of chapter 5. So 5 flows into 6. And the key verse, one of the key verses in chapter 5 is being filled with the Holy Spirit and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And all the household rules from 522 to 69, they don't stand alone. They come out of the filling of the Holy Spirit from 518. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, singing and making melody to the Lord with, all, with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In and of ourselves, we do not have the power to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ without the continually filling of the Holy Spirit. And we haven't really addressed this. Now, I want to do that as part of context. Um, G.L. Mooney answered the question, how do we get the filling of the Holy Spirit? This is what he said. I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. And if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. We must be emptied before we can be filled. We must make room for the Holy Spirit. We must, as um, Paul says in 4.22, we must put off that old self. So, in chapter 6, Paul is in full command mode. In a short passage, there are six imperatives, which are commands, and three participles that want to be commands. Okay? So here's the flow of Paul's thoughts. Very straightforward. Gospel echo and children, fathers, and work. So let's hop in it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you 
that you may live long in the land. Notice, children, that your mom and dad, your moms, your wives, uh, not your wives, but your husband's wife, 52 words, like Pete mentioned, right? Husbands, they get like 152, right, 151. Children, you really only get like 11, 11 words. That means you must be much smarter than the adults. That's the way I see it. Only thing you have to do is, children, obey your parents in the Lord. So what does it mean to obey? Obedience is the way that we submit to our parents. It's a measure how you children love and obey Christ. It is rare for a child to love Christ and hate his parents. Thus it is fitting for you children to love and obey your parents as a demonstration of your love and obedience to Christ. Now, why is this command necessary? Well, because children are bound under, like everybody else, under Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Thus, children need instruction and boundaries. And the first one is, obey your parents in the Lord. See, the children need the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they need to be continually filled by the Holy Spirit. Now, you may have heard this myth, that children are born good and without sin. And it's just that. It's a myth, right? It only takes a mother or father a few days, weeks, to see that that child is not good. They want what they want. And if they don't get what they get, what do they do? They cry. They get angry. And then by the toddler age, it's pretty obvious that kids have, I'm going to teach you a word, a proclivity. Kids, can you say the word proclivity? Proclivity. My wife said, take that word out. No, no. We're going to teach you a word. So that means your tendency, your tendency is to sin. Our tendency is to not obey our parents. Now the, the, the Apostle Paul grounds this command. He says, now for this is right. Why? He's going to ground the command in the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. A, a way, the main way we, we honor our parents is to obey them. Now, honor means to respect, to revere. Now, in, you know, we weren't, um, we were good disciplinarians. We had six kids, right? But there was one sin that you wanted to get the wrath of dad, okay? You only had to disrespect my wife. Because disrespect just wasn't honoring to my wife. So if, you, if my kids were disrespectful to Carol, they, they, they heard about that one. So, all right, children, we are to, you are to obey your parents with 
a sincere heart. Now, I'm taking this, later on Paul, and you're going to be out of the room, so you won't hear this, but later on, when Paul is talking to bond servants, he says, hey, you are to obey them, same word, not with eye service or people-pleasing. So I want to bring that forward to the, the children because when you obey, you can obey your parents in action, right? If, she, if your parents said, mom and dad said, clean your room. You can go clean your room. But inside, you say, uh-uh, no way. I, I don't want to do this, okay? So it's easy to obey, obey in action. And yet your heart is far from obedience. And you know what? Jesus is even more concerned about your heart. Um, we won't turn there, but Matthew 15, 18 and 19, he says, out of the heart, all these things come. All these things that are not pleasing to God. So here's the danger, kids. If you obey with action only, you don't know this, but eventually your heart becomes hard. Void of love. Void of honor of your parents. And as you get older, that hard heart will take you in a direction that is not honoring to your parents or the Lord. Now there is a scene. How many people have seen Charlie in the chocolate factory, William, William Wonka in the chocolate factory, okay. The old one and the new one, okay. I'm taking this in the book. How many people have read the book? Okay, a few. It's a great book. All right. There is a scene in the book where we meet uh, a girl by name of Veruca Salt. Now, Veruca is a foiled little girl, right? If you remember, she wasn't giving you away. She wanted a golden ticket. So her dad took his whole peanut factory and all the workers spent days unwrapping Willy Wonka bars, okay, until she got the ticket. And sure enough, she threw a hissy fit, right, and they get, she gets the ticket. Now, her father is not great either because in the book he says, ah, after the ticket, she's all smiles, and we have a happy home again. Why do we like, why do we laugh at Veruca Salt, right? Well, because we see that she had a bad heart. In fact, the author goes on to talk about that she was actually, in the book now, a bad nut. In the book, when the kids go to the factory and they visit what they call the nut room, there are all these swirls, and the swirls take the walnuts and they knock on them. How do I do that? Yeah, something like that. Oh, I'm a bad nut. Okay. Um, and they make sure the nut is good, and they open it up. Well, Veruca wants one of those swirls. She says, Daddy, get me a swirl. I can't. Honey, Lori Walker's swirls. Anyway, she's going to go grab a swirl. And all the swirls attack her, right? And hold her down. And then they start knocking on her head. And they realize she's a bad nut. And they throw her down the garbage chute. Okay? So children, do not be like Veruca. Don't be a bad nut. 
That's the lesson today. Okay. All right. One last thing before I, um, before I dismiss you. Well, two things. One thing about disobedience of children, it's interesting. There are two places in the New Testament where Paul, in, in Romans, says that, that is going to lead to the wrath of God. Disobedience of children. And in 2 Timothy, in his last letter, he tells Timothy that you know the end is coming, right? And what is it, the rapture uh, indicator? What's that thing called? Justin? <laughs> anyway, you know, the, you know the end is near when children are disobedient to parents, okay? So, children, before I dismiss you, let me encourage you to guard your heart. Be quick to repent when you disobey your parents. Not if, but when. And then, what I want to encourage you is to look at the source of your disobedience. Because the action isn't the source. Find out, what is it, what is it in me that I didn't get that caused me to disobey? Ask yourself, what's going on in my heart? Confess it, repent it, and then believe in the gospel. Because there is forgiveness there. All right, kids, stand up, you're dismissed. I'm going to move on to Gospel Echo and Fathers, okay? Fathers, get one more verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Of all the words Paul could have wrote to fathers, he produces a dagger and plunges it, plunges it, in the heart of the matter. What father here does not cringe when Paul unveils our hearts? Do not provoke your children to anger. What is it that brings out the best and worst of fathers with their children? What brings out the worst? Could it be our unrealistic expectations for our kids? Maybe it's our lack of confidence in being a father. Or maybe it's the fatherhood that you're bringing from your childhood. Maybe it's the pressures at work so that, when, that you kind of bring them back home sometimes. Or that pressure knowing that you need to financially provide for your family. Or maybe it's the apparent small amount of time that you're home, maybe, compared to when you're at work. Whatever the cause, the Apostle Paul hits a nerve. Too often, we as fathers are harsh, impatient, angry with our children. How we need the grace of the gospel of fathers. Perhaps we should look back to chapter 4 and see how Paul starts and apply those to fathers. He says, he could have said, Fathers, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness with your children, 
with patience, bearing with one another in love. Fathers, we just need to repent and run to the cross. As we interact with our children, we need humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with them. We all fall short, and our weaknesses are exposed at every turn. But we have a heavenly Father who loves us and wants to forgive us and continues to make us new in Christ. And we don't have to repeat the patterns. Um, I have one memory. I have lots of memory. Um, when you have six kids, you make lots of mistakes, right? And I remember um, a, a pivotal moment in, in my parenting. Um, I, had, I was driving the kids to uh, three of the boys to floor hockey. And I don't know, I must have my normal self been harsh or impatient. And um, I got there, and before we got out of the car, I did something I never think I really had done before. I confessed my sin to my kids. And it really changed my life. So I'm like, hey, I, I wronged them. I, I need to repent, but I also need to confess and repent to them. And that was a, that was a turning point in my parenting. So fathers, don't be afraid to confess and repent when you're harsh, when you're short and patient. Because we have forgiveness, right? And we know that what? From uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians, right? In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I don't know if I can say this, but on the behalf of the elders and pastors, of Gospel Life Church, receive this grace. We, we want to encourage you in that. So, here's what we have. Here's what we fathers are commanded to do. Bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We need to disciple our children. Now, the Great Commission starts really, with our children. They're, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. It must begin in their own families. We cannot delegate this to the church or anyone else. In, in that nice little commentary, Ephesians, for you, Richard Kowekin writes, Our children need discipline, love, and loving discipline, not indulgence or bullying. Discipline, love, and loving discipline. Verse 4, Feast of Fathers. But what about single moms? What about young widows who are raising children? You realize that in Hennepin County, there are 22% of single mom homes. And so what I did this week, in the past couple of weeks, I reached out to some single moms about verse 4. And um, my friend Sarah, uh, who became a young widow at 40, wrote to me, and it's so good, I'm going to read the whole email to you, because I think it would be really helpful. It will be helpful for us to understand single moms, and also as we think about our communities. This is what Sarah wrote. This indeed is 
this is indeed something I have thought about and grieved over in regards to the loss of, for both Naomi, her daughter, and myself in not having a husband, father figure provide spiritual insight and direction in our lives. I think, however, that there are other women who experience this as well, as when, as when the father is an unbeliever or someone who just sits on the couch and is totally disengaged and the responsibility to be the spiritual leader is placed on the shoulders of the mother. She continues, I think it is kind of you to see and want to acknowledge the single mother and widow. There is a particular grief that comes with these scenarios, and it's easy to wish things were different or fantasize that someone will rescue you. However, it doesn't matter how great the grandfather is or uncle or the hope of, of a stepfather or even godly men in your church. You as a, are the parent and you are the one who lives with these children day in and day out. And therefore the responsibility lies with you, the mother. Even a stepfather situation takes years to develop unless the children are very, very young. Yes, it's a heavy burden, but there is scripture to provide encouragement for this too. It is clear that so many passages of scripture that God sees the particular challenges of widows, orphans, and the fatherless. And I think he provides the wisdom and grace to do it when you bring your desperate need to him. This is what encourages me, she writes. There is nothing I have done or chosen to become, chosen to become a widow with a young child. And yet, this is the situation God has put me in. Therefore, all my hope and trust is in him and his ability to help me do this. Insightful words, huh? So let us continue to not only come alongside single moms in our congregation, but also think about what that means in your sphere of influence. That brings us to the third point. So we looked at children, fathers, and now gospel echo and work. Our tendency is to read verses 5 through 9 through the lens of our 2022 culture. And we can't do that. Lest we miss how radical Paul's teaching is concerning bond servants, slaves, and masters. In the Roman world, it's estimated that the, there was 10 to 20 percent of people who were slaves, like 5 to 10 million. In Italy alone, 35 to 45 percent of the people were bond servants, were slaves. Under Roman rule, bond servants had no right, and many were household servants. But um, one author lists 55 jobs that they would do, from barber to cook to blacksmith, and not only that, but farm labor. Slavery during this time was not based on race. Some were spoils of war. You know, someone Rome conquered, they would take the people that were left in slavery. Others were sold because of that. Notice that the Apostle Paul does not condone slavery. 
it was just as he was writing a fact of life in the Roman Empire. But what was happening, these, these five servants were becoming Christian. So Paul's aim is for the gospel to change the way that they serve as bond servants. In verse 5, Paul commands bond servants to obey their masters. And he's using the play on words here, right? Using the phrase, in the Lord, seven times in Ephesians. But here, and that means the Lord Jesus. But here he says, obey your earthly Lord. Same word, meaning your earthly master. Obeying your earthly words with a, a different attitude. And you can imagine what it was like for some bond servants. Some, that's all they've ever known is, is the life of a slave. For perhaps others, they were booty from war. They, they were free, but now all of a sudden they're in some kind of bondage, slavery. These might have been tempted to just go through the motions. But now, they have become Christians. And then the gospel changes everything, right? They were to obey with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as if they were serving Christ himself. Not with eye service or people-pleasing, meaning to appear to obey, but from the heart, like we just talked about. The apostle wants them to work and serve doing the will of God from their heart as to the Lord. Now, this is a very different attitude than the non-Christian bond servants. Paul reminds them that they were to receive back from the Lord rewards and honor. This is not prosperity gospel. The, the apostle is not promising freedom in this world, but every action of the Lord would be remembered and rewarded. Now, how does this passage apply to us today? How should we echo and extend the gospel in our work environments? How can we serve our bosses with a sincere heart as if we were serving Christ? I think Tim Keller is really helpful here. In his book, Every Good Endeavor, Connecting Your Work to the plan, God's Plan for the World, he writes, I'm going to have some quick quotes here, sound bites. If God's purpose for your job is that you serve the human community, then the way to serve God best is to do the job as well as it can be done. He goes on to say, think of the gospel as a set of glasses through which you look at everything else in the world. Christian artists, for example, when they do this faithfully, will not be completely beholden either the prophet or naked self-expression, and they will tell the widest variety of stories. One more quote. And so our work can be a calling only if, it's re only if it is reimagined as a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interests. Thinking of work mainly as a means of self-fulfillment and self-realization slowly crushes a person.
Now, when Catholic life was first formed, we did, they did all the things that a new church has to do, like constitution and bylaws. But one of the things they added to the bylaws, which I think pretty unique, is they include a section called Gospel-Centered Methods. And one of them had a heading called Gospel-Integrated Faith and Work. Gospel-Integrated Faith and Work. Okay? You can read this in the Bible. So I'm just going to quote uh, two or three paragraphs as I close here. This is what was written. The good news of the Bible is not only individual forgiveness, but renewal of the whole creation. God put humanity in the garden to cultivate the material world for his own glory and for human flourishing. This is part of what our mission statement means when it says that our church will exist for the city's good. Too many Christians have learned to seal off their faith beliefs from the way they work in their vocations. The gospel is seen only as a means of finding individual peace and not as a foundation of a worldview. Think of it as a foundation. He go, it goes on to say, but we have a vision for church life that equips our people to think about the implications of the gospel and how we do carpentry, plumbing, data entry, nursing, art, business, government, journalism, entertainment, and scholarship. We not only support Christian engagement with the culture, but we will also help them work with distinctiveness, excellence, and accountability in their trades and professions. Bringing Christ, bringing Christian joy, it concludes, hope and truth to embodiment in the arts is also part of this work. We do all of this because the gospel leads us to it. Even while we recognize that the ultimate restoration of all things awaits the personal and bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? That's part of the foundation of what we believe at Gospel Life. So we want to echo and extend the Gospel in our workspaces. Let us know how we can help. We'd love to have that conversation. So, I named this sermon Echo Faces, and we had some fun with echoes. There's some to close, there's a, a place in Beijing, uh, a temple that they built, the Chinese built, that has three special zones. Depending where you stand in the temple, you can say something and you hear one echo. And you move to the next spot and you hear two echoes. You move to the third spot and you hear three echoes. And I was thinking about that, that really, it's ironic that they call that the temple of heaven. Because we, as Christ followers, are the true temple of heaven, the church, made with many stones. We are a church made, not of hands, 
but we made of stones that echo the gospel. It reminds me of First uh, Peter uh, chapter 2, where he says, As we come to Jesus, we are like living stones, built up as a spiritual house. And he goes on to say that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who call us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's do that. Now as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, what we're doing is echoing the gospel. We proclaim to each other the Lord's death until he returns. We point to the cross of Jesus Christ, seeing his body that was pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquities. His blood is the new covenant poured out to death as he was numbered with the transgressions. And it says in Isaiah 53, so, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressions. This is what we remember and celebrate at the Lord's table. 